You're listening to The Pipeline, a proverbial aqueduct flowing between the hands of poverty and the hands of Jesus. This program is produced and sponsored by Pipes International. For more information and resources, like us on Facebook or visit our website at pipesinternational.org. If you'd like to support this program or the ministry of Pipes International, you can do so easily and securely on the website. Guana Asifiwe. Well, welcome back to The Pipeline. It has been a long time. I have Pastor Samuel with me here today, and we are starting season two of our podcast. Um, A lot has happened in the last year, and Pastor Samuel is really excited to share what has been going on with the Ministry of Pipes and the places that uh, he has been able to travel. And uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Pastor Samuel, what is new for Pipes International in the last year? Just a quick recap. All right. Thank you so much, Stuart. I'm so excited that, uh, you know, we are back with this season two now. And it's been a difficult year uh, this year and last year, you know, with the COVID era, a lot of challenges. But through all that, God has been able to help us to continue with our mission. And uh, just quickly, I would like to mention about the summer mission trip that we undertook. You know, traveling to Africa, we had targeted to go to Kenya, Burundi, Rwanda, and Congo. But two of the countries just canceled, uh, we canceled our trip because of the COVID restrictions. However, we still were able to go to Kenya and Burundi and we had an exciting, exciting time. We had a team of six people, uh, three of my family members, and then we had David who came with Mark and Marshall. They serve with International Gospel Outreach in uh, Texas area. Uh, and so we were able to go there. We had great opportunity. First of all, we worked with the Maasai people. We had a soccer tournament. Uh, this was the first time Pipes was doing a soccer tournament. And so it was a big, big thing for us. We saw so many families come. As you know, the Maasai people are very cultural and traditional. They hold to their cultures. And so for young people especially, they will not just come to church and sit and listen to the gospel. But when you make a sports evangelism like a soccer tournament, they will come in their numbers. You know, we had tournament, we had trophies, we had prizes to give. And so they came to compete. But we were able to share the gospel in the beginning of the, of the, of the uh, soccer, in the middle of the play, and also at the end. And so we had, we had about 50 of them give their life to Christ. So it wow. was an amazing time. Wow. Okay, I have a question. So... For young people amongst the Maasai, and, and for those of our listeners who don't know, the Maasai are the indigenous people group that Pipes primarily serves in Kenya. Um, they're native to Kenya, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so they this is a people group that lives um, much like the pygmies do in that they are um, not, they're not wealthy. They don't live extravagant lives by any means. Um, they are living very, very modest lives off the land in Kenya. And Pipes just started working with them within the past, really, year and a half, right? Yeah. Okay, so for young children amongst the Maasai, something like soccer, and the reason I'm asking this is because for those of us in America that play soccer, uh, you know, there's, we have role models, right? We look at sports teams, we have people that we see on, on TV, on ESPN, and there's uh, famous soccer players that we that that young kids like to to emulate, or they want to they want to follow. Uh, what's it like for a young kid 
amongst the Maasai playing soccer, are they like super, you know, into the, the arena on a national level, like in Kenya, or do they even know of that? Do they even have the ability to keep up with those things? Okay, good question. So with soccer in Africa, you know, it's a big thing in Africa, just like it is in Southern America. And so even among the Maasai, in fact, there's a guy, a Maasai guy who is in, in the national soccer team in Kenya. And so because of that, uh, they know about soccer. They say they have their own in the national league. And so it's something they are always excited about. So growing up as a kid, they may not have, you know, like the soccer balls we have here, but they make their own, you know, with paper and, you know, strings. They make their own soccer balls and you find them on the streets. You find them on the, you know, street corners trying to uh, to play the soccer. And so, yes, it's something they know. They have heard about people like Messi and Christian Ronaldo. So they have big names out there they talk about yeah wow okay wow that's cool that's awesome that you guys did that so what region of kenya actually is the maasai located in so the the maasai are located uh, between the border of kenya and uh and tanzania and actually maasai is uh, are both in kenya and also in tanzania so the good thing is that we also want to uh, later in the year, start reaching the Maasai in the Tanzania side, which wow. is which is very exciting also for us. That is exciting. That is exciting. Okay, so after you visited the Maasai, where did you head next? So we visited the Maasai in Kenya. We also did some other missions in uh, different parts of central part of Kenya. But then we headed to Burundi. This was exciting. Uh, it was a bit difficult with the COVID. We flew to Burundi from Nairobi. And then, you know, we had to do all these tests in the airport, COVID tests, and it was a bit frustrating. You had to, you know, part with $100 per person for the COVID test. And you're like, wow, wow. these guys are just ripping us off. But uh, I remember David, one of the missionaries we were with from IGO Ministry, he said, whatever cost it is that we need to pay for the gospel, we will. Hmm. So we went to Burundi. We had conference that we uh, we preached in a place called Gitega. Uh, that's now the the political capital city. Okay. We had a great time in Gitega. A lot of people actually came for this crusade. More than 100 people uh, gave their lives to Christ. But we also had a time with the pastors. We had time with the youth, uh, women conferences. And uh, then we visited the Batwa pygmies in different uh, uh, villages that we are supporting. You know, we went to Rutoke. We went to another place called Luganigua. We went to another place called uh, Muaro. And Moaro, apart from helping these people with the farming and education, this is a place that we are doing jiga treatment and prevention. And one of the exciting things was to meet Jean Marie, a boy who was, the first time he was being carried, he couldn't walk. He mm. was carried to the place of the treatment and he had been uh, asked, discontinued from school because of the jiggers. Um, you know, all this pain and discomfort that he had. And after the treatment, and this is uh, this year in April when we did the treatment, Jean-Marie got healed, walks nicely. We now just returned him back to school. And he's one of the people who came to uh, to welcome us. So it was very, very exciting. Wow. That is something that is really encouraging to hear. Uh, for those of our listeners that were part of season one and you were following us, you know that we were uh, beginning to start working with indigenous peoples, helping them understand uh, really, you know, just everyday lifestyle habits of cleanliness that greatly benefit them. Everything from washing their feet to being intentional about wearing 
uh, closed-toed shoes, keeping dust out of their homes. Um, Jigger infestations are nasty and they're real and they cause real pain. And uh, for a child to have an infestation in their feet, it really is... um, it really is not good. I mean, it makes them immobile and they're not able to walk. They're not able to play. Uh, the pain is in many cases unbearable. Thankfully, Pipes has been able to intervene in a significant way, um, helping them with humane, up-to-date medical standards for relief that, that are making a huge difference. So mm-hmm. that is one way that uh, your money is directly impacting indigenous people's lives and uh, it's 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 a good open door to sharing the love of Christ and the gospel alongside that that uh, medical relief that's fantastic so did you get to meet Jean Marie in person you got to talk to him yes I got to meet him we took some pictures um, looked at his hands actually we had we have some pictures with his hands clean you know you're like I looked at his hands and what I saw before and I'm like is this the same person it's just like a miracle. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Tell us more. What else did you do while you were in Burundi? So we also met this lady called Estella. Estella is a lady we've been talking over the phone and praying with her. We've video talked a little bit. She is 22 years old and she's had cancer uh, for some time now. And even though she's going through chemo, you know, that has not prevented her from being strong and being able to share the gospel with other young people. And what we did the last time we spoke about five, six months ago, uh, she said she'd like help with the bead, beads so that she can do some beadwork, you know, like make bracelets, mm. necklaces. And so we shipped some of those from Kenya to Burundi and started doing her job. And she's so excited. When we went there, she had orders uh, from different places that she was very busy doing that. Wow. And we continued to help her. Actually, recently, just one um, one of our partners donated $100 just towards uh, Estella, just to improve her work and have more products to sell. So hopefully, uh, she'll continue to do that, uh, sell locally, but also internationally. Wow, that's amazing. So one of the things that I know that Pipes is doing uh ongoing with indigenous peoples is helping them construct homes, um, which is something that without third party help, like a nonprofit, like Pipes International, it's hard for them to get to that place. What is, uh, what's the progress with housing development, uh, specifically in Burundi? So, um, if you look at the huts that these families live in, it's, it's very, um, it's just, a, a, a place that you don't even want to imagine that it belongs to a family, you know, just a little hut with leaves, and yet the family lives there. It's, there's no division inside. Everybody just sleeps there. Um, and if it rains, you know, the, the house will be raining inside. And so a lot of people die because of cold, especially young children and older people. So when we went to Burundi and saw these huts, we said, we, we have to do something. We, we need to build decent homes. And we actually started constructing one right when we were there and appointed another family to do a second one. We actually hoping to do like 10 homes in the near future, you know, cost about $2,000 to do a complete home and do the cement inside and have their beds and mattresses, you know, just $2,000 will be able to complete a home. And this is something we've done. So we know uh, it's doable and it's, it's a joy, you know. When we look at the 
privilege God has given us in the Western world, in America and other countries, and then look at how other people are living, you know, it's, you know, you just feel like you are touched to be able to help at least one family have a decent place, a place they can call home and a place they can be proud to live in. Wow. That's fantastic. I have always been really humbled just at the realization of how one American dollar goes so far in Kenya and in Burundi, um, in Congo. It is truly amazing what can be done with just a little amount of money. Yeah, that's super encouraging to hear. So I'm curious if you know anything about uh, the volcano that erupted uh, close to Goma a few months ago mm. in, in the DRC. Oh, yeah. So when, when there was that eruption in DRC, uh, some families moved out. Uh, it was actually not far from where we have a school in Goma, right. in a place called Mogunga, where we have a lot of uh, about 600 kids or so. Yeah. And so when it erupted, some of the families had to leave and farms were affected. And of course, there were a lot of chaos going on at that point. We were able actually at that point to help families with food and other health needs. But right now, the families have all returned back. So we facilitated wow. the families to be able to get back to their homes. And so the, the situation is now under control. That's, that's fantastic. Um, and that volcano is not far away from, all, from, from Goma at all. What was the, you know what offhand, like how much damage that eruption caused in the city? So um, this, um, I don't know exact um, value of the damage. It wasn't as bad as what happened in 2002 when it almost cleared um, three quarters of the city. Wow. Uh, this time it was a twist. It was a bit controlled and it didn't move so much into the, um, to the city, but at least there was still some, quite some damage. Okay. And was that the last time that it erupted in 2002? Yes, 2002. So it takes like 20 years and it comes back. Wow. Wow. Well, that is the danger of living right next to an active volcano. So I'm really thankful to hear that we were able to to help them navigate that in that really hard time. Um, also, how is the ongoing work uh, in Goma? How is, how is our friend Pastor Bernard and, and the ministry there? So Pastor Bernard is doing very well coordinating our work. Actually, we had a talk this morning. So we kind of consistently talking, and especially because recently we purchased a land where we can build a second school in the island of Ijui. So Pastor Bernard is facilitating that. We have all the documentation. We've been able to purchase the land. And so the next step is to build a school. Those kids are in Ijui Island. They need a school just like we have one in Goma. And uh, it's our prayer that, you know, going forward, our partners will be able to help us uh, build a second school there and be able to help the uh, the pygmies there, uh, the vulnerable children, the orphans that have nowhere to go. They can't pay school fees in the schools that are already there. And so we just need uh, uh, to team together with our partners and be able to build a school. Wow, that's fantastic. That's so exciting to hear. I know we've been talking and praying about that for years. Mm-hmm. Ijui Island is in the middle of Lake Kivu, uh, which is just south of, of Goma, southwest of Goma. And... Um, Pipes has been doing work there since the beginning, correct? That's where you first went, right? Yes, yes. We went to Idri quite some years back, and we've done quite some work. We've actually settled families in a farm that we also bought. Uh, more than 20 families resettled there, and they are farming, and they are 
you know, they are doing other activities, keeping cattle there. And so we have a lot of ongoing work in Idri Island. Wow, that's fantastic. That's an answer to prayer. Mm-hmm. That's an that's a huge answer to prayer. That's that's so awesome. All right, let's uh, let's move on. So going back to Kenya for a moment, uh, our dear dear friend and the missions coordinator, uh, missions director in in Kenya, Pastor Isaac, has been fundraising for a while now to build his own church, to construct his own church in Kijiji. And uh, just tell us, Pastor Samuel, a little bit how that's going, and where is Kijiji in relation to Nairobi? So Kijiji is in the central part of Kenya, uh, part of the central province, um, and it's a real village, you know, and the name Kijiji actually means a small village. Oh, wow. And uh, when Pastor Isaac went to this village, you know, I just evangelism, he found this little church that had two adults and three kids. And so he said, you know, we need to do something about this little church in the middle of nowhere. And we started working with him, uh, building a small congregation, growing, doing crusades and helping with the knocking doors and inviting people to church and to Christ. And today, the church is about 100 members now. It's growing. Wow. And so we started uh, helping Isaac uh, build a more permanent house uh, because the, where they are living, the, the people are too many to fit in. Mm-hmm. And so now we donated funds from Pipes International through our partners, and the church will build the church. It's, it's going very, very well. Now it's a stage of roofing, hoping that we'll have enough resources again. Isaac is working hard to make sure that we complete now the final stage of putting the roof and everything is going to be okay. That's exciting. Did you get to visit the church in person? I did several times, maybe like four times. Actually, during the trip, I ministered there a few times also, and we had a crusade out there that we ministered. And uh, I also talked to the leadership in the church. Yeah, I had a lot of opportunities there. Wow. I, I just have a question of curiosity. The last time I was in Kenya, I went to a small village. I do not remember the name of the village, but it was close to Sagana. And uh, I ministered to a church. It was actually the church, uh, Pastor Washira's, where Pastor Washira was from, that same village. Um, and I just remember the road to get there was so bumpy. It was a dirt road with every hole you could imagine. Uh what was it like getting to this village, this this small village of Kajiji? <laughs> so the the most interesting thing about Kajiji is so dusty, Ooh. very dusty. Yeah, um, the roads are definitely just dusty. But that place in general, the dust, yellow dust, it's all over. So as you drive there, you have to close your windows. Oh yeah. Uh, but even when you go there, you preach one day. You know, you have to just. The clothes yeah. are just dusty. You have to wash but you your know clothes. What? You have to wash them. But the the joy is just seeing the faces and the wonderful people and the beautiful congregation there. Amen. And even the people outside in the city, they are just, just, just loving on them and just showing them the love of Christ. But dusty village. Yeah. yeah. Is that village mostly a village of farmers? Yes. Most of them are just uh, subsistent farmers, you know, small farms. And there are a few people doing some other businesses at the, that place. So, yeah, but mostly farmers. Pastor Isaac has been a incredible blessing to Pipes International for many years now. For those of our listeners who don't know his story real quickly, can you just describe how you found him and, and when he came to Pipes? Mm. 
So uh, me finding Pastor Isaac was an interesting story because I didn't know him. Uh, but we had a problem in Congo because our partners there, we, we had a guy working with, but he was not faithful, would send money, he wouldn't do what he was supposed to do, and he kept, you know, lying about how he is using the fund. So I just told somebody that I'm so desperate and I need a faithful person. I didn't care where they were from, but we needed somebody who is faithful because I was here in the U.S. and I, I needed somebody in Africa who would be faithful. So somebody told me, I know this guy, he finished high school and got a job in a school to teach and um, he loves God, he's very honest, his integrity is great. And so I talked over the phone with him and we hired him even before I met him. And when we hired him, he was in Kenya, we just sent him to Congo where he was now a missionary for quite some time before he married and went back to coordinate the work from Kenya. So yeah, and uh, when we hired him, we were able to start the school, uh, to build a permanent school in Congo. And Isaac has been with us all through and he's doing a wonderful job. Yeah, and for many, many years, he did not have a reliable means of transportation, correct? Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, what did Pipes recently do for him? Yeah, so he used motorbikes and bicycles, you know, walk, whatever kind of means he found, he used it to go and do ministry. And But by the grace of God, last year during the COVID, uh, we were able to raise enough money to, build, uh, to buy a car. So we have an eight-seater uh, Toyota Wish. And, and guess what? This time we went for the summer mission. It was so helpful wow. because we used it to go el- everywhere. We traveled to different parts of the country, including the Maasai area. And so it was a big, big help. We are so grateful that we have a vehicle that Isaac can reliably use to go and teach discipleship classes, pastors. But also when we are out in Africa for a mission trip, we have a vehicle that we can use on a daily basis. Yeah, and that is such a blessing. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that. I think it's important to give the Lord praise for that. It's the small things, sometimes seemingly small things to us. You know, we we can easily take having a car, a reliable means of transportation for granted. And um, to be able to have a car that Pastor Isaac is able to use regularly as our primary overseer of the missions in Africa, uh, it's just a huge blessing. And we, we thank the Lord for that. We thank our supporters and Pipes Partners for helping provide the funds for, for things like that, that make the mission work uh, more speedy and just enabling us to go further and and farther than before. Um, so I think we, we need to definitely just give a little update on our initiative for discipleship. Pipes is a disciple-making organization, and it is so essential that we are making disciples who make disciples. And this is something that we're passionate about. This is something that we invest time and resources into. Pastor Samuel and Pastor Isaac both have devoted countless hours to um, making discipleship a really tangible thing that we are not just talking about, but that we are actually doing. And um, uh, Pastor, I would love it if you could give us an update on how that's going, specifically with the translations um, for the discipleship workbook that was uh, that was written by you and Pastor Isaac both. Mm. Um, what translations have we now been able to uh, finish and actually print and distribute? Okay. 
So, um, you know, God has been amazing. So since we started this workbook, a discipleship workbook, about 100 pages. And uh, we know some people have the books even here in U.S., Canada, and other places. But we started with the English version. And later on, we did the Pakistan Urdu version. And then we did the Burundi. So we have it in Kirundi, in Burundi, where uh, pastors are using it in their churches. And then we did the Swahili. And Swahili one is a great one because it can be used in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, and Congo, and also some parts of Burundi. So like six countries can use the Swahili workbook. But also very exciting is the Maasai Discipleship Workbook because the Maasai people told me and the pastors I met, I met about 50 pastors who gathered together when we did the launch in August. They have not had any book like that in their language. So they rely on English materials for those who can read English. But this is the first time they have something in their language, you know, some scriptures in their language that they can share with the people. They have a Bible in their language, but having a discipleship book or any other book they can use, that was an amazing thing that Pipes did. And we really thank our partners for being able to help us to do that. So we still have three languages. They have been translated, the the Kikuyu, the French and Kenya Rwanda, they already been translated. They're in the process of printing and uh, verifications, so validation. So we, we are working on three more. So in total, by the end of the year, there'll be eight translations. That's truly amazing. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. And I am honestly still shocked when I hear the reality that there has been little to nothing that has been produced and translated for indigenous peoples. I'm incredibly humbled and excited to hear that that is happening. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious, what does it cost on average to complete one translation, like a new translation of the discipleship workbook? What's that, what's that costing, um, uh, you know, from having somebody actually translate the work and then getting something, you know, the initial step at a, at a printing place? Mm. So um, the cost of publishing one book is roughly about $3,000 okay. for the first 1,000 copies. Oh, okay. So that includes um, the translation, the people you pay to do the translation and checking through everything, and then the, the actual publishing in Kenya. Wow. So one book would cost about $3. Okay. Uh, $3. And then when now we are taking them to the Maasai, the logistics of travel and everything, all combined um, would say that a book would cost $4. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So are there any translations yet that we have yet to complete? That's something that we're, we're actively working on. Yes, so we are actively working on three, three more translations. Okay. So we have the five ones here, then three more translations to complete. Okay. So if that piques anyone's interest on, and, and you're a generous giver and you want to maybe contribute to a translation or maybe a whole translation, that, that's the answer right there, about $3,000 per translation. And that is having a direct impact with indigenous peoples, uh, again, providing material for them to read. The discipleship workbook that Pastor Samuel and Pastor Isaac wrote um, is available to you. You can get it on Amazon, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you can get it online, um, but uh, we're giving it to indigenous peoples for free. We're providing it to them so that they can have something in their hands 
to learn how to study the Bible, how to become disciples of Christ. And uh, we don't need anyone to tell us that studying the Bible can be a little challenging. And yeah. so um, having some help like this is just outstanding, and it is making a huge difference. Yeah. And uh, so if that's something that you want to be directly involved with, we're more than welcome. You're, you're more than welcome to. We're inviting you into that. And uh, that's a really exciting piece of, of this discipleship mission. So... Pastor Samuel, I know you're leaving for Pakistan, uh, another mission trip mm. here in less than a week now. Can you just give us an update on that? And specifically, how can we be praying for you as you travel? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, so Pakistan, I've been to Pakistan two more, two times before, 2016, 2018. And we've been planning to do that. But since the COVID came, you know, kind of slowed down. But I'll be traveling between October 20th to November 6th. Uh, and I would really ask for your prayers. As you know, Pakistan is not the safest place you can be in. And, uh, you know, that's why we don't take a lot of teams to Pakistan. Sometimes you need a lot of security when you're there and just being careful. Uh, but we thank God because of his protection and um, the people there, Pastor Victor, who hosts us, is very careful to make sure that we are in places that are taken good care of and where we go, where the places are risky, then he takes care and have enough security with us. So... I pray about that. Safety is important. Security is important. But also that we'll be able to reach to the people with the gospel, that many people will attend our meetings and listen to the gospel and give their lives to Jesus Christ. You know, this is a Muslim-dominated country. Uh, Pakistan has the second largest population of the Muslim, um, uh, only second from uh, Indonesia. And so more than 200 million people are Muslim in that country. So they need the gospel. They need to be reached out. And the, the percentage of Christian is less than, uh, it's about 1%, you know, and there are also a lot of Hindus uh, there. And so let's pray that God is going to touch the lives of people, but also that the pastors and the missionaries will, you know, take it upon themselves to be able to share the gospel and make disciples who will also make other disciples. So that's our prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, that's so exciting, Pastor Samuel. We are definitely going to be praying with you and for you. I wish I was going with you. <laughs> I cannot wait to go to Pakistan yep. someday. Next time. Yeah. Um, well, that's it for the update on the pipeline. For those of you who are just tuning in and this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Pipes International is a nonprofit organization that serves indigenous peoples all over the world. Um, and we are thankful to partner with churches all across America. And we also partner with churches in the countries that we work with. And so we are an organization that uh, believes in partnering with other people. And uh, that's exactly what we do. Pipes is an acronym, Partnership for Indigenous Peoples. And we we partner along with people. We believe that it is essential to uh, ongoing missions to have partnerships that last, and that is why we are so intentional about discipleship, and we want you to partner with us. This is an invitation to you to partner with us. You can do that many ways. Uh, first and foremost, we ask you to pray. We ask you to pray for the salvation of indigenous peoples, that God would free them from uh, their ways of thinking that are of the world and and might seem totally foreign to us, but indigenous peoples often don't struggle with the same things that we struggle with, maybe with uh, 
you know, various addictions to technology or the the things that we have in America that are so common, um, but truly they are people who are just as lost and in just as much need of the Holy Spirit. And so pray first and foremost. You can also partner with Pipes by giving financially, and we invite you to do that via our website. There are various ways that you can give. You can also give via check mailing in. And lastly, even in the midst of the craziness of our world, we still invite people to go on mission with us. That is an important part of um, what we do. So if you're interested, you're always free to reach out. You can email us at info at pipesinternational.org. And until next time, thank you, Pastor Samuel. Buena asifiwe. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pipeline. For more information and resources, like us on Facebook or visit our website at pipesinternational.org. If you'd like to support this program or the ministry of Pipes International, you can do so easily and securely on the website. Buana Asifiwe.